Will you pray with me as they, uh, as they return to their seats? Lord, we are so thankful for uh, the joy of these young ones. And God, we are thankful that today we get to worship you uh, as a unit, that they don't go off to class, but that they're here with mom and dad, seeing mom and dad worship the Lord, worshiping the Lord with mom and dad, with mom, with friends, with family, Christ that you've built. May this time be a time where we focus on you. Would you allow uh, me, Father, and all of the uh, inadequacies and insecurities, Father, would you allow your name to be glorified during this time? We love you, Lord, and it's, uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Family, I was uh, introduced to the concept of hope at a young age. Uh, there were two things that happened really often in my life, uh, and they both were surrounded by hope. The first had to do with this time of year. Man, I would hope for toys like none other. It was the uh, Atari ColecoVision 76. I won't, I won't bore you with the details, but I'm just saying. Xbox had nothing on this. I'm just saying. And, and, and my hope was based on my want. And each Christmas, my hopes would change, hoping to get these certain things. And it didn't always play out, but sometimes it would. And it would reinforce that this was the con- proper concept of hope. I also had a lot of family that gambled. Um, I didn't know it was called gambling. Uh, I knew it as the lottery. And so the lottery was this thing that almost all of my family did. And after they would come back from the gas station or the grocery store, I would hear, man, I hope I hit this week. It would help with this. Well, I hope this happens. And I began to see hope as a means to provide for you. Little did I know that Christ sees hope as a means to provide for you as well. But it's not rooted in chance. It's not rooted in risk. And it's not rooted in uncertainty. It's rooted in Christ. It's rooted in God. It's rooted in truth. So as we get into the scripture today, we're going to go through a few uh, illustrations uh, where we see hope played out in the Bible. But I, I, I couldn't describe it better than the author of a Bible dictionary that I have. So I wanted to read for you. Uh, the, the definition of hope for the Christian. It says hope is one of the three main elements of Christian character. It is joined to faith and love and is opposed to seeing or possessing. So we don't hope for what we already have. Okay, you, you don't you don't have hope for something that is realized, something that you currently experience. Part of the reason why you hope is because you have yet to attain it. Hope is an essential and fundamental element of Christian life. So essential indeed that like faith and love, it can itself be part of the essence of what it means to be a Christian. In the whole glory of the Christian vocation, you can find hope as one of the center components. Unbelievers are without this hope. For Christ is the actual object of the believer's hope. 
because it is in his first coming where we are celebrating today in the incarnation in him coming to dwell upon man that we get to experience beautiful hope. But today points us forward towards his second coming when all hope will be realized and all glory fully fulfilled. So God is our hope. I was wrestling with this concept because I've seen people, even as Christians, struggle with what it means to hope in Christ and what it means to have all hope in Christ. I know a subtle difference, but the don't want to light on fire. Uh, <laughs> hope not. Yeah. Um, the difference is this. We can have hope in the things that Christ provides or we can have hope in Christ himself. I got the kids with me here today. Kids, how many of you hit that orange juice for me, Nielsen? How many of you guys like orange juice, kids? You like oranges, juice? Hit that next one for me. Oranges come from trees. Okay, they grow on trees. Now, as believers... We know that God, and you you see this illustration throughout the Bible, one of God using fruit to display that you should not miss the mark. Don't get so excited about the fruit that you see that you miss the one who allows fruit, who allows life to exist. For God described himself as the tree by which all of us are to be engrafted and we get to bear his fruit. But when we think of hope, There are times when the fruit of Christ can at times be more attractive than Christ himself. Hit that next one for me, Neil. So the fruit of provision. Christ, I want you to do for me so that I can be stable. The fruit of protection. Okay, God, you've given me a child, you've given me a wife, so I I need to make sure that my choices are best to provide safety in this house and protect everybody. We're only going to go these places this time. And You fear death. And so in in trying to find a, 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 a peace within yourself, you wrestle with all the truths about eternity. Just so you can know exactly how it plays out in the end when you might die someday. But friends, eternity itself is not the end. Christ is the end. And Christ provides security in all of the different fruit that manifests. But let's not let's not be fooled, even as Christians, into finding more joy in the fruit than we do in the one who provides it. We can spend our whole life chasing hope, hope in the fruit, and not really accessing the fruit giver. So what allows us to have this, this security, this great joy, this great conviction in who God is? Well, it's the trust. It's our ability to trust in him. It's our ability, our hope, is rooted in our ability to believe that Christ is who he says he is. And so you go throughout life every day evaluating different trust levels. You put your key in the lock, you don't even question whether the lock's going to turn. You automatically assume it. 
Your, your, your girlfriend says she's going to meet you here at 2 o'clock. You trust that it's going to happen. You jump in the car, turn the key, and it's going to start. We every, you cannot exist without being a person who engages in trust every day. The question is, how do we make sure that, that we allow our trust, which is blind with a, a key to an ignition, to be just as trustworthy, if not far more trustworthy, in God who's created all things. You see, your hope is built upon a foundation of trust. Psalm 62, verse 8 says, What tipped over? Oh, he said a candle tipped over. Oh, it's okay, guys. Thank you, man. Thanks for helping out. Psalm 62, verse 8 says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And Job, Job 13, 15 says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to seek his face. Family, we, we sometimes can wrestle with trust, but I think it becomes clear when we expose some of, the, some of the trust that we have in man. Like, God is limitless. Man has limits. God can, can come forth and care for and heal every situation. Man, while he might be willing is not always able. Have you been in a position where you had a, you were going through a situation and a friend said, man, like, just let me know what I could do. You didn't know what to tell them. They didn't know what to do. Y'all both looking at each other like, uh, I love you. But, but God is a, a tr- so trustworthy that, that he can respond to every situation, knows every need. We are invited and called to trust in the Lord. Now, can you put up a few of those scriptures? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Psalm 71. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. O Lord, from my youth. So, fam, allow me to share with you two illustrations from the Bible that I think will help us wrap our minds around hope. Because it's a concept that that I really want us to leave today saying, at the end of the day, all of my hope is in Christ. And if I don't see the fruit in the way that I expect, that, that reality of fruit playing out the way that I want it to won't change where my hope lies. So there's a there's a family in the Bible, uh, uh, a couple that moves and they move from from what we would equate today. They move from New York and he's like a financial investor to like moving to uh, Kansas in an area where there's like, no, I got I I got you love. I'm coming. I'm coming. Don't worry. (laughs) 
but 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 like a a place where there's like no people. I'm talking about like I'm not I'm not helping here, huh? I love you, Lindsay. <laughs> How about this? Okay, let's keep it home. Omer, Michigan, the smallest town in Michigan, 337 people. You go from being a financial executive in New York to being uh, to work in the land in Omer, Michigan. That's the type of transition that that Abraham and Sarah make when Abraham's dad moves them from Ur to uh, Haran. Abraham's dad had all these finances. He was able to amass wealth. And he says, you know what? I foresee something happening, so I'm moving the family. He moves his family, and he's headed to Canaan. Stops in Haran, and unfortunately, he dies. And so when he dies, he takes all of his wealth, and that is passed on to his son, Abram. Now, Abram inherits money. He inherits land. He has a a beautiful wife named Sarai, and he inherits his son, because his brother has passed away, his excuse me, his nephew, because his brother has passed away, his nephew Lot. And then God does something crazy. He says, look, dude, you've got all these things. I see it. You have all this land, all this security. You have family that love you, that will protect you, that say, hey, you are finally in a place of comfort. And God says in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I want you to leave. I want you to go to a land that I will provide you. He said, leave your country, your relatives, your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. Now, you guys would have looked at him like he was crazy. You're already a great nation. Abe. what you doing? You're going to leave all this? You're going to move to Detroit? Look at the stability. Look at the security. Look at what you have. But Abraham says, I will do it. And not only did God make that promise to him then, he makes another promise to him that sounds crazy. He says... I'm going to give you this land to your offspring. Now, they are about 75 and 65 at this age, getting up there a little bit. And they don't have any kids, y'all. So this promise was one that God had made unto Abram, but he didn't have any children. And so a number of things take place within this family. A number of things take place. They, they make some lies. <laughs> They're kind of deceitful. But even in the midst of making lies to leaders, they get blessed. They get additional money, additional land. And God says, I'm going to give you this land. Which was another another. Today, guys, if, if somebody said, I'm going to give you this land, it would be like uh, like a house burning down and then someone coming with a deed like, hey, that's yours. <laughs> you wouldn't be excited. This was not land where like 
cool, you about to hook me up. It was, and this is a blessing? That, that type of scenario. And so I love the Bible because the Bible shows like the it shows the realness of people. Because time starts to pass on. These promises are true. And Abraham says to God, "Okay, I'll I'll take you at your word. And so God reminds him in chapter 15, he says, Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am. Am your great reward. Don't don't get so don't get don't get too too off track. Focused on the kids. Don't get too focused on the land. Remember, I am your great reward. And so 20, 20 uh, years go by, roughly between fifteen and twenty years go by. <laughs> That's a lot of waiting, y'all, on a promise. A lot of waiting on a promise. And some of you guys can relate to this story because you've been waiting on something for some time now. And so they get frustrated and they say, Lord, we know. Actually, Sarah says, yeah, maybe God has forsaken me. Abram, I got this maid servant. Why don't you go ahead and create a child through her? We want to give you a, an offspring. We need an heir to this, to all that, that, that we have. And so they do. They take, they take the decision of the Lord into their own hands. And that decision is one that, that, that bring, wreaks havoc forever. The Bible says that, that, that Ishmael would be a, a, a thorn to his brothers and to his neighbors. That everybody would be would be turned off by him, by this child. This child birthed out of frustration, birthed out of anxiety, birthed out of a, a lack of waiting. But family, the, the, the story does change because God reminds him and says, hey, as many stars as you can see, that's how many your offspring are going to be. And some 25 years after the first time God speaks to Abram and says, you're going to have offspring, Sarah gets pregnant. And she births Isaac. Now, how is this? How is this story one of hope? I I pray that we would not see hope as something that's simply flowery, fun stuff that happens. Hope doesn't mean that it lacks pain. It doesn't mean that it lacks patience. And it definitely doesn't mean it's dependent upon us. You see, if God is our great reward, if God is the one who is truth, then what is happening is God says, no matter what you do, Frank, no matter what you do, Kristen, no matter what you do, Sarah, when I make a promise, I bring it to pass. So they foolishly tried to make a child happen. And God, God still blessed them with a child, even in spite of, of their foolish actions. But friends, I pray that, I pray that through their story, you would, be, you would be encouraged that the promises of God are true. That he fulfills the things that he says. 
That him coming into existence during this holiday that we celebrate is one of the many fulfillments of those promises. Those scriptures that that Matthew and Betty read of a redeemer that would come to save us all. That happens in the birth of Christ and shall happen again in the return of Christ. Is that where your hope lies? Or, is your, or does your hope lie in the things that that Redeemer provides? Do you want more of what he gives or more of who he is? I got one more illustration for you guys. And it flows from the, the fifth chapter of the book of Mark. And uh, here we have a man that is cast out of society. This brother is making everybody mad. He is uh, ostracized because he's tormented mentally, physically, and emotionally. He has a spirit living in him and actually has many spirits living in him. And people hated this brother. So much so that they tried to tie him up with leather. But he broke out of the leather. They tried to tie him up with chains. He began to break out of the chains. So what they did is cast him out of society. They said, you go and live amongst the tombs where we bury our, bury our dead. That is, where, that is where you ought to remain. A modern day menace to society, y'all. And he causes havoc to all people who he comes in contact with, but he causes havoc to himself. Because he, he night and day screams and yells. Indication of no rest. He cuts himself. And we don't know if these cuts are uh, a desire for, for relief. Or a glimpse of what these demons would love for him to do. Which is take that, take that stone and smash it into his heart. All we know is that this man is, is, is outcasted by society. Hated by a community and in turmoil. And it is there that Jesus meets him. It is at that point of pain that Jesus meets him. And Jesus, Jesus meets him and he says, the, the, the spirit speak and say, Jesus, don't torment us. Don't make us leave this area. And Jesus, when interacting with this man, sees a, a flock of pigs going by. And says, leave that man, enter into those pigs. And immediately, those pigs jump off a cliff into the water and they die. And, and Leon, what is this example of? These pigs dying is just one example of what these demons wanted to do to this man. Kill him immediately. But let me tell you how the rest of the story flows. Because when when the people who were the 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 carers for the for the pigs come and they see Jesus and they see this man who used to cut himself, who was in mere anguish, who was who was a torment to the community. When they come and interact with him. They see him restored. They see him clothed. They see him in his right mind. You know what they say to Jesus? They say two words. 
Not thank you. Not praise God. They say, get out. They say, get out. Because we don't care about this dude being restored. We don't care about this brother in community. What we care about is our fruit. Our fruit is provision. We find our sustenance in being able to have stability. And Jesus, you just killed all my pigs. That was my money. That was my way of life. That was my income. So I don't care about the restoration that you're making in lives. What I care about most is my, are my investments. Family. How is this a, 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 a focus on hope? How does this relate to the coming of Christ? In many ways. First, people are hurting. And the hope that Christ bring is himself to people. Be reminded that Jesus still comes and still engages with individuals, still meets them where they are, even in places of extreme pain. For he is our great reward. But also notice, notice the individuals that had a chance to interact directly with Jesus and didn't value who he was. See, some of you guys have been have been in in the presence of great transformation. I, I think I think these individuals were fools to engage Jesus, see Jesus, interact with Jesus, see him transform this person and give it no, no bearing, no credit. But family, I think we are fools, too. When we engage with individuals who Christ has transformed in a great way and it doesn't point us back towards the hope of Jesus. You, you, if, if, if you engage with, with a Carla, great transformation. With a, with a Dawn, with a Pastor Russ, with a Ray, with individuals who have, lives have changed because of the cross. You should not be able to continue going about your life in the same way. You should stop. I don't care about investments. I don't care about anything else. Restoration has happened and it points me towards the cross. Let our hope, my friends, let our hope be be experienced daily as this Christ centered community is transformed. And let us then go out and take that to the world. Notice what notice what Jesus says to him. Go back to that verse. E. This brother says, man, you've restored me. Take me with you. I don't care where you're going. That's where I want to be. And Jesus says. He did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So now the person who was in pain experiences hope and is charged by Christ to go and take hope forth. What does he say? He doesn't say, hey, now I want you to go out and heal people. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to go out and cast out demons. What is this brother supposed to go do? Go take people to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the hope. 
Not just the stuff that he provides, not just the things that he does. He himself. So fam, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely, extremely filled with hope during this time. And I pray you will be. I pray as you look at each other's faces and, and you see the life transformations that's happening. I pray as you think of the truths that are, that are mentioned throughout this, this beautiful Bible. Some realized at the cross, some yet to be fully realized. I pray that it would create hope in you. But I pray that the term won't have the same trigger for you that it does now. See, if I said this sentence to you now, if I said, uh, hopefully, I hope, hopefully you guys will go out and uh, love Jesus. Still has, it still has the, an essence of chance. But what I want you to remember is hope fully in Jesus. Or may you be full of hope in Christ. So now the term hopefully doesn't mean chance. It means out of an abundance of hope and assurance in a God that I can trust. May that be the, the, the may we respond like this brother and go back to our friends and tell the world about a hope that desires to love them, care for them. And restore them. Will you pray with me family? Heavenly Father. You are our great reward. Though the, the, the covenant you made with Abraham. Isn't our covenant father. The promise that you made to him. That you are our great reward. Is still our promise. Lord we benefit greatly. From Abraham just simply trusting in you. But you've given us a Holy Spirit that allows us to trust in you ourselves. May we learn from the illustrations used in the Bible to point us towards you, Jesus. For you are our everything. God, I pray that, uh, that we would see that we have been restored. That we were once in pain, in great need. And that you've rescued us. Now let us go tell the world about this hope. That is you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.